Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. I just want to ask one quick favor before we jump into this episode. You know, I've been organically growing this podcast for over five years, and I need your help to keep the momentum going. There's two things you can do. One is leaving a five-star rating on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Spotify is a lot easier. You'll see the rating button right at the top. Apple Podcasts, you have to scroll down the page a little bit, and you'll see a write a review button. Additionally, if you want to share this out with your audience on your social channels, text it to a friend or colleague or family member, whatever you have to do to pass this along to individuals that you find may need the help and may be looking to get started. So either of those things or both of you like would be appreciative so I can get this podcast out to more individuals and we can help more people get started and move in the right direction to a more happy and fulfilling life. So thanks again for your help and grateful to have you here on another episode. Let's get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Charles McCarrick, who is an entrepreneur, inventor, and lead visionary of MicroAmp and its subsidiary companies. With more than 10 patents to his name, he pioneers and supplies unique equipment to the communications industry. Charles's most defining characteristic is enthusiasm for new ideas, for the people who work with him, and for continuous improvement. By cultivating people's confidence and creativity, Charles has forged a top-notch team that delivers new technologies into the hands of customers and value to investors. Now he delivers his book of life lessons to you. So I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation I have with Charles. And without further ado, please welcome in Charles McCarrick. Charlie, welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. Good to have you. Oh, it's great to be here, Brian. I'm really excited by this. I had listened to one of your episodes not long ago, and it was so inspiring. I, I, uh, I just couldn't wait to meet and speak with you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I got a copy of your book uh, <laughs> here, and really well done. You know, it's, I'm always, I'm always inspired um, by folks that are getting out there and writing and putting out their work. I'm curious though if we could, because I want to delve into the book a little bit. I think there's some great lessons in here. Can I just ask up front, like, you've seems like you've had a successful career. You've started businesses, y'all that. Why, why the book? Why write it? What was the inspiration behind that? You know, uh, during COVID, at the early uh, 2020, uh, a lot of people like me had a lot of time in their hands if they couldn't go into the office and. Uh, I put together a, a directive for the company that if you didn't touch the product, you had to work remotely because we didn't know what COVID really was and how it was going to affect us. And all we knew is that we had to keep, keep product flowing. So I think a lot of things evolved out of that uh, period uh, during COVID. And for me, it was the book. I, I was doing a lot of sewing, a lot of this and a lot of that. Mm. And I was just musing to myself, you know, I've been pretty successful how the heck did I do it? I really did you know, start out knowing what I was, what was the, you know, what were the steps along the way that, uh, that got me past all these obstacles and turned them into opportunities. And I really wrote it down as a journal for myself to try to gain an understanding of what the evolution of uh, my entrepreneurship was. And, and as I wrote it uh, down more and more, it went from being a journal to a manuscript. And I said, you know, this could very well be a book. All I need is to, have it illustrated and maybe I've got something here. And then it sort of morphed into becoming a book and I had a few people read it and they laughed and enjoyed. I said, okay, well, let's give it, leave it a shot. Mm, that's awesome. What was the, uh, 
like the process? Is there anything you'd share maybe if someone's out there like, God, I really like to write a book. Anything you went through some hurdles, you had a jump of publishing it or just getting it picked up. I don't know. Anything specific <laughs> you'd share? Number one, you have to have a lot of free time on your hands, which I did at the time. I'm not sure that now I could easily find the, the time to, to write another book. The other thing is the uh, yeah, people talk about inspiration. I, I think if you need inspiration to write, maybe writing isn't your thing. Because I could write anytime, any place, and a certain word would pop into my head. And I could build an entire paragraph or even chapter out of that one word. Uh, and, and it would all spill out from there. So I, and I never really thought I was going to be a writer. I really had no, didn't have any aspirations to be a writer. Uh, but I think anybody wanting to write a book should do it. But first, write it one paragraph, one sentence at a time. Take a step back and, and see what you think. And you don't have to have the whole book. And you're better off, I think, if you don't have the entire book or the, chap or the chapters and all of that laid out in front of you. Just take it one word at a time and let it evolve from there with no particular boundaries and see where it takes you. And at the end, if you're going to publish it, editors are going to take it. They're going to reshape it right. and take out the edginess and all this other stuff anyway. But just let it flow like any creative process. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think about this when I, when I write is the difference between, you know, creating versus editing. You know, for the longest time when I was younger, it was always like I'd write something and then I'd try to edit it right there. And what I've learned recently is, no, I you write and just dump stuff and then you go back and edit later on. And that becomes a different because then you're not so worried about it being perfect. You're just saying, I got to get inspiration on paper, right? I got to get those words that, as Stephen Pressfield says, that muse is talking to you. You just kind of got to get it out there. So I, I certainly agree with you. Oh, you are hitting the nail right on the head because some of the things I wrote about, I could never put in the book. And even as I wrote them, I said, yeah, I'm just going to write about them anyway. Uh, I will mention particular uh, instances, particular people uh, or things that took place. And then I will either take them out or I'll find another way to tell it so as to protect the innocent, it, which is what I ended up doing. I just wrote it all down. And I, I don't know if this is true with writers you know, like you. You would know better than I but I ended up writing twice as much than, than what actually went into the book. Yeah. Oh, that happens. And well, I think what you had mentioned earlier is when you write down, sometimes that's a bridge to another story. And then that story comes in the book, right? So maybe the initial one that you wrote, as you said, you, you kind of left a lot of stuff out. Well, maybe that inspired in a different, a different part of the book, right? Something kind of clicked and you were able to write it. So I think just getting as much down as you can, then you start like a puzzle kind of piecing it together. You don't know how it's going to work initially, you know? Yeah. So I, I agree fully there. Um, well, let's talk about this book a little bit. So it well, actually, let me step back because you talked about, you said something about starting, right? In terms of entrepreneurship and kind of, kind of thinking back, how much of an influence on your upbringing about your family, like how much did that have an influence on you being able to start? Now, I don't know if that's giving you confidence or maybe shaping you in terms of, uh, you know, kind of beating you up. I had an older brother, you know, kind of, so like, I don't know, like take it from any angle you want, but how much did that help you having that environment around you to ultimately pursuing entrepreneurship? Yeah. Um, well, if an entrepreneur is somebody who wants to sell things to other people, things that they create and to build a business around it. Well, I had that at a very early age. I would be selling corn and uh, string beans in front of the house at a, at a farm stand that I ran. 
uh, or developing my own products, such as Sapino, which I talk about in the book, which is something that you put in your hair to, uh, to compete with a, a product at the time called Vitalis. But I think an entrepreneur is more about a person with particular character traits, somebody that they, they I wouldn't say that they're afraid to take risks, but they are aware of the risks and they think in terms of objectives, tactics, and strategies all at once. And so they're free thinkers uh, and they are always, they're always determined to move forward. And, and, and you know, when, when you're brought up in a family like mine, where I had, there were five boys and a girl, and my four brothers were forever creating these instances where uh, they put me in some sort of situation that I might find it uh, difficult to get out of, uh, as brothers uh, would tend to do, then you learn a lot of tricks, tricks, right, to navigate through those situations. And what turns out, starts out as being adversity, right, becomes opportunity. Uh, it's an opportunity to grow character. Again, I, as I say in the book, I think character is uh, developed during times of adversity. And since I grew up with a lot of that, I think that helped to build or contribute quite a bit to my character, which uh, which are the traits that I think are necessary for any entrepreneur to succeed. Yeah, I I think you make a great point there. And and that's the thing we always talk about, like, oh, the happy moments or finding all the great, you know, the successes, but it's really in the pain and suffering when you learn the most. Would you agree with that in terms of like, you know, your professional development and building businesses and stuff like it was in the painful moments that you ultimately maybe learn the most to, uh, to help you on your next journey. Oh yeah. I mean, I would have written any of this if it was a gravy train the whole way. The, uh, the things that inspired me were the, the monumental errors, the, you know, the, the stupidity on my part or the, you know, outright uh, criminal behavior of others and still was able to manage to get through those. And I don't think that there's any amount of, uh, of training in a, in a business school or otherwise is going to get you through that. I mean, being able to recognize character, to be able to harness your own character and to you know, create transactions that are of value, you know, those, are, those are key. So uh, you're right. I think the company is much stronger because of the many uh, adversarial situations that we got into because some of those things are laughable now as to how we ever got into a transaction like that but the way we were able to get through it and to succeed to continue to grow that you're right that is where the uh that that is where the where the real wisdom is at yeah for sure well and one of the things i liked in here and maybe you can touch on these this might help the conversation is uh you talk about this four s I'm going to call it a framework. Can we call it a framework? I, I, I mean, it's, yes. Yeah. So, yes, and I liked it because it really structures the saleability, sensibility, sustainability, scalability. How did the origination of that come? When, when did you discover like, okay, these kind of things fit into this bucket? Was that during COVID and kind of your discovery or had that been for a long time you used this guidepost? After I had written most of the manuscript and I was reading back through it, as I said, I originally wrote it as a, a journal to myself to try to figure out how things uh, transpired the way they did. There was a, a central theme forming is that many of the things that uh, we called upon to get through those situations 
were involved with assessing character, either within ourselves or on our team or people that we were dealing with. And I realized that those characteristic traits could be broken down into four categories. And those four categories are the so-called 4S transforms that I talked about. Uh, and you mentioned them, uh, what the four S's were. The first two S's, sustainability, uh, scalability, uh, I'm sorry, I have the right, saleability. And uh, what was the second one? Sensibility. <laughs> okay, I, did, I didn't think that you had sens said sensibility, but yeah, so saleability and sensibility, those two are personal traits. They're generally innate to an individual with the next two traits, sustainability and scalability, are more traits that have to do with a business, a company of people, an organization, an, an enterprise. But what, what I'm pointing out is in order to get to that level where you have an enterprise that possesses those traits, you need to get through those individual character traits first. Right. And saleability is the key for kicking off on any entrepreneur because saleability really means having value, right? As an individual that others want to transact with you. And having value means more than just having a product or a service that other people want to buy, but being a person of integrity, a person who is creative and articulate, but communicates, supportive, is always there and never quits, has perseverance. The type of person that any of us would want to team up with or would want to place our faith in, in terms of executing a transaction. So that was the very first thing, very first S that I put through and said, that is what got me off the ground. Being able to talk to vendors, suppliers, and customers who had faith in me as an individual because I had no history to demonstrate mm -hmm. that I could do any of the things that I was proposing to do. So having that saleability and able to move forward and to be able to emote these uh, these qualities was key to get going. Uh, the second uh, one- can I, can I, do you mind if I pause you for a second? Charlie, matter if I pause you because I, I want to make sure we hit a, the point on that because I really like that. You're looking at it from obviously looking back at your life and kind of how things, you know, it's, as Steve Jobs said, right, we can connect the dots looking backwards. How can someone, if they're listening to this right now and they're like, gosh, you know, I don't know where I bring value or I'm not sure, like, is there anything that they could go through? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a practice they could do. Anything specific you would share to help them get started in that direction, to kind of understand, maybe even give confidence that they have some of these traits that they just don't even recognize. You know, a little bit of soul searching and begin with the question, what motivates you? If someone's to say, you know, I wanna, I wanna start a business. I wanna get going. And I said, well, what is motivating you? Say, well, I wanna earn a lot more money. I wanna have, you know, I might think, well, that those are good things. But if somebody says, I am a person who is committed to succeeding. I have perseverance. I never quit. And I'm the type of person who wants to be in charge of my de destiny no matter what. And I say, aha, now there's a person who has a very good chance of succeeding because number one, money isn't what gets you to sustainable company, uh, nor necessarily a good product or orders. What's going to sustain you through the tough times, no matter how much money you have in the bank, is what you have in terms of grit. In other words, the perseverance, the, uh, the driving force that tells you, I do not quit. I move no forward no matter what. When logic should dictate otherwise, when good business sense would dictate otherwise, when an empty bank account dictates otherwise, you continue to push through because that is the thing that is going to fuel your tank, is, 
and is going to take you through bad times, through good times, and through every time. And you need to have that. I mean, you have to have that kind of an attitude. So that is a character trait in and of itself, someone with perseverance, someone who has grit, someone who is not a quitter, and someone who is always pushing forward. Because that is a person, generally, who has an objective and is operating upon a strategy. Do you think if someone, like if, they, if they're listening, they're like, gosh, I don't, I'm not like that. Do you think they have the, I, I don't want to say skill set yet, but in terms of running their own business, whether it's even being a solopreneur and kind of doing their own thing, or there's things they have to almost like, a, like they have to gather along the way to be able to start sustaining for the long haul, or, or can they get started, but maybe they just some things that they have to look out for? Well, the first step, I think, in starting and running a business is wanting it. If you make the decision, yes, this is what I want to do, and you might question whether or not you have the technical capability, whether you have the background, then team up with somebody who does. And at the very least, you know what to look for in the person that you either employ or partner with. You know that whatever you think you may be lacking, you're going to fill that gap with the character traits this other person has. But if you do want to start a business, that's the place to start. If you have no interest in it, then clearly that's not what you should be doing. But if you do have an interest in it, then you have the very least the ability to ask yourself, why? What is, would be motivating me to do it? What is going to sustain me through t uh, times uh, good and bad? And partnering and talking to others and putting together a mentor group that is what you want to do. This should never be done in a vacuum. Yeah. You have an entire support team around you of friends, family, professionals, and otherwise that you can be talking to that will give you advice. Take it for what it's worth, but at least you'll be able to use those assessments and to see what it is that you possess that you think you can move forward with and whether or not it is sufficient. And if it is not sufficient, but you are still determined to move forward, then find other resources for that. I appreciate you. I know we took a pit stop there, so I appreciate you sticking with me. All right, so let's go to sensibility. Let's go to sensibility then. So you were going down the path there before I stopped you. So share a little about sensibility and how that works into the under the personal realm, I guess. Okay, well, if salability is output, then sensibility is input. I mean, this is the, the various things that are going around uh, in your environment, in the world, the business world around you that you need to be sensible or aware of. Obviously, you need to be sensible as to what the market is for your products, how you're going to deliver it. How are you going to be able to deliver based on value as opposed to cost? What are your competitors doing? What does your supply chain look like? Is that in terms of what, you know defining your product and the type of business you're going to be? It's a good start. But you're going to need other resources as well, including employees and partners. How do you assess those people? You have to be sensible of their character traits and how they're going to fit into your organization and how they are going to fit into the ethos that goes into your product. Because let's face it, you're going to eventually develop a culture. and The culture is going to be following some code, a process that takes place within the company. You want to make sure that you are nurturing and fostering a healthy uh, culture from the get-go. Don't just let it happen on its own 
and end up with people that are grumbling about the things that they don't understand or they disagree with. You want to have like-minded people that are all pushing in the same direction. So sensibility is, uh, you know, looking inside and outside of the company, both at, you know, what the, you know, what the, the market landscape looks like, you know, the supply chain, your customers and other partnerships, but as well as the type of people that you bring into the company that give it the, its character. How did you, you know, if we talk about like interviewing or, you know, bringing in staff, how did, you, and maybe you didn't know this early on, maybe you made some mistakes, I have no idea. So that I'll ask, like, how did you know how to interview and get the right people in? Like, how, that, like those character traits were important to growing a sustainable business where we see a lot of businesses, people, there's a mass exodus because, you know, they don't sign up for the, the culture or they don't like the culture. So how did you do that early on to, to grow that uh, in the organization? It's a good question. I mean, that you, you could have candidates come in that are known quantities. Maybe that you uh, they are recommended from someone that you've known and trusted in the industry. Maybe they are people that you have partnered with or worked with in the past. But maybe they're unknown quantities, and these are the ones that you will get more than uh, your fair share of. And with a two-dimensional sheet of paper that tries to summarize who they are and how they're going to fit into your company. Well, I want to say it's a given that they are going to have the technical capability or whatever abilities that uh, will be essential for them to execute the job. You can do that almost without meeting that person in a very short discussion. But to look at their character and to look deeper this is something we really do every day. We make decisions whether we like a person or not like a person, sometimes subconsciously based on the conversations that we have with them. And the conversation subject almost doesn't matter. And I try to engage these, any candidate into conversations that have absolutely nothing to do with the job. Maybe in the past how they, uh, to find out with how they work through problems, are they a team player, what sort of how they view the culture of other places they've been, but maybe were they on a fishing trip? Tell me about that fishing trip. What did you catch? What was your participation in? And just to see how they detail that trip or how they were able to prioritize what was important, how they saw themselves participating in that. Uh, and if they're willing to talk to their family, you have to be careful on how you probe into personal things, but if they, bring up some personal things, then you ask him a few questions about it and just try to learn the type of person. And your instinct will kind of tell you whether you like that person or not. And that should play every bit as important in the decision as to what their capabilities are of being able to execute the job responsibilities. Do you have a process you go through like number of interviews or amount of time that you spend with someone? Like, is there anything like that that or, or is it kind of random depending on the person and, and your gut? You know, I mean, now, I mean, a, a person might go through the rounds and uh, the various departments, depending on what position that they're being uh, uh, considered for. And I try to allot anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour to a person, but quite frankly, in five minutes, I know whether they're going to fit or not. And then I spend the rest of that time uh, convincing myself that I'm right <laughs> in that decision or wrong. Yeah, And uh, that's pr pretty much how it goes. But by the time they get around to me, they've already been assessed for whether or not they have the qualifications. Mm. 
How important, I guess, maybe now that we're on this, going back to, again, someone starting, maybe they're looking for that co-founder or early employees. How how did you do that years ago when you started the businesses? When you didn't have, you were number employee one, right? You were it. How did you know to hire certain people? Because sure. I know it's such a hard thing when it's like, God, this is everything, this one decision, you know? You know, one of the scariest things that I had done related to the company is hiring that first employee because I... Uh, he uh, has a wife and two children and now I am responsible for his income and for him being able to support his family and all these other things. I have to make it work. It's not just me in the basement anymore fooling around. I can't make mistakes. Right. You know, I have to do everything right. I make sure we have an income to pay this individual. That was the only difficult decision I made in terms of hiring. It became real easy after that. And I knew I had to hire somebody because I, I'm an engineer and I was doing the design and I was doing everything. I was talking to the customers. They would give me the specifications. I would do the design. Um, and then I would have to do all the documentation to send it to the vendors to have the parts made. The parts were shipped to me. I had to put them all together and assemble them. I had to test them. I had to box them and I had to ship them off to the customer. And I said, good Lord. I don't ever want to do that again on my own. It's too much because I spent all of my waking hours, which was almost all of the hours in a day, just doing that together. And I knew it was impossible for me to take on multiple jobs doing that. So I realized that throughput of product was going to be the most important thing for generating revenue for the company. So anybody that I hired, take on that responsibility was certainly a great investment mm -hmm. because their job was to uh, was to give me the uh, the ability to generate a lot more revenue and that's exactly how it works so this person came in and they would bring on temps to do various aspects of the job until we were able to hire people permanently and so they eventually set up an operations department and had all these people working under him and under them so that uh, we could increase productivity. The other good thing about having another person around is now you have somebody to talk to and to bounce things off of. Mm -hmm. And we had a whiteboard. We said, let's take a look and see what this company is going to look like in the air. We drew, we drew out this org chart. The organization showed the various departments, which didn't even exist yet, and the positions, which didn't exist either. And we realized that he and I had to share and take on these various positions. And the funny thing is that in some roles, I reported to him, in other roles, he reported to me. So it was kind of convoluted and crazy, but it worked out. And uh, you're right. It was a little scary bringing that person on, but my gosh, the payback was, uh, was tenfold right away. Did you have to, I, I, this comes up a lot around like having a certain revenue stream going or, or having a certain amount of money in the bank so that you could pay them. Like, did you have anything like that in mind or was it more just on, we have to produce more product. We have to be able to get this out. I have to, there, there's no other choice here. Did you kind of just come to a, a fork in the road where you had to make that decision? I had always enough money to look out another couple of weeks for <laughs> the, uh, that one job that I had executed where uh, I had built a customer for those uh, antennas that I had built was enough, I calculated, to keep somebody employed for about two to four weeks. And during that time, 
I would do everything I could to get the next job going and, and so on and so forth. It, that's what we did. And uh, I did not have enough money put aside to support me, let alone an employee. But he came on with the understanding that there was a possibility that we're going to be lean times, but he thought it was worth it just to be part of a company coming into a company at the ground level. But he never went without a paycheck. That's awesome. Nobody did. Nobody did, except me. <laughs> <laughs> what if you could look back at those early days, again, kind of maybe helping someone else that's getting started, uh, anything you would do, you know, you may not do differently because obviously you're probably happy with the outcome, but like anything you would think about doing differently if you could do it over. Yes. I had an objective and my objective was a simple one. I didn't want to work for corporate America ever again. That wasn't a very smart objective. I should have had a more corporate-centric uh, objective is that I want to generate $100,000 of sales uh, this first year or something like that. Because out of the objective, then you start to develop tactics. I mean, you develop a strategy, and out of the strategy, you start putting tactics together. Those define the plan of operating a business. Rather, I just you know, I was just winging it and you know, flying by the seat of my pants. I was totally reactive to what was going on. Loosely, I knew that I needed to have revenue, but I'd set no goals or bar or, or, or objective. And so because of that, we were just working and working and working with no particular process plan. Putting the organizational chart on that whiteboard was the first attempt to do anything that I would call strategic um, or anything that I would say was truly planning toward a future objective. So I would recommend to anyone to be able to define what your objective is, put it down on paper, and then start looking at the strategy and the tactics that are going to get you there. That will include not only the services and the amount of work that you need to put, to put in, but the sort of capital expenditures for resources, both human you know, and otherwise, to be able to execute, you know, to fulfill that objective. Mm -hmm. How did you end up getting your first client? Could you share that story? Uh, my very first client was Sirius Satellite Radio. And I knew one of the engineers over there. I gave him a call and explained to him that I had just left my company and I had been doing work with them in the past. And they said, okay, yeah, we'll give you some, uh, you know, we'll give you some work right out, of, right out of the gate. So that was consulting work, which I could uh, bill for hourly. And of course that has a cap on it because there's only so many hours in the day. Uh, but my next customer uh, was a was a fellow in uh, Texas who was needed antennas to be used uh, uh, in Afghanistan. And so these uh, antennas had to meet certain requirements that I understood quite well. But he needed more than the design; he actually needed ten antennas. And so that's how I got my first production. And then it built from there. So I had a combination of uh, of, uh, of customers that I was consulting for on an hourly basis. Then there were others that I was beginning to do some really light trickle type manufacturing. Uh, and each one of those segments of the business built more and more and more until the consulting entirely away. We put our entire focus on uh, manufacturing and producing product. Mm -hmm. Well, you make a good point, though. And that, what I wanted to underscore, I'm glad you, you said that, is, uh, 
you know, we all have these networks where we should be building out these networks of people that, you know, kind of trusted advisors. It could be former co-works, should be a variety where you were able to reach out to them as kind of that first line of defense to, to get going. Where a lot of folks are always wondering, like, ah, how do I get my first client? Well, call people you know. Ask them, you know, if they need help. I think so many folks are scared to, to just ask people they know. They'd rather ask a stranger versus people they know for help, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, I despise cold calling. But when it becomes, <clears throat> when the choice is that and not eating, then, um, oh, I'll cold call. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'll cold call from the refrigerator if I have to. You do what you need to do in order to survive in the early stages, even things that you are not comfortable with. And that's one of the critical things that comes down to your character is what are you willing to do in order to succeed? What is motivating you? So some of the things that you do to survive might not describe who you are as a person, but uh, or define who you are as a person. But you need to do them in those moments in order to get uh, up and running and get the plane off the ground, so to speak. So you're right. There's a lot of things that you're going to have to do in the early days that are uncomfortable. But those are opportunities. Those are the opportunities to do things that you otherwise would not have allowed, permitted yourself to do if, you know, uh, in, in, in any other walk of life. Yeah. One, I don't know if it maybe it kind of applies here. One of my favorite quotes is this one where it says, like, hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. And it's like if you make those hard choices to do the things that are uncomfortable that most people are unwilling to do, there's a really good chance that it kind of works out for you in the long run. doesn't always work out but there's a better chance because you're kind of doing the things that most run willing to do. I don't know if you sign up for that philosophy or not, but it seems like you may based on uh, what you've done. Yeah. I mean, that resonates with me. I mean, a hard choice is like an investment, right? A hard investment. There's a certain amount of risk to it. And certainly you have to put a lot into it, but the reward, it would be substantially more than picking the low hanging fruit. There's nothing wrong with picking low hanging fruit, you know, that's available, but if you can climb the tree and get the bulk of the crop, uh, you know, and if that's your aim and your objective, that by all means, you know, that's that's what it takes. You know, you, you can't sit away, sit around waiting for the fruit to drop out of the tree and pick it up off of the ground. So you're right. You know, there's an effort to it. Um, but if you're determined, right, then that labor is a labor of love because you know that every minute that you're putting in comes back to you in some way. What a. Maybe we'll kind of end on this or, or at least get close to, to ending on this. What's your faith? Because obviously you talked about your family, the you know, lessons from my brothers, uh, my well, lessons my brothers taught me book title. What's your favorite story growing up to, that you like to share? What's your most favorite story that you remember? Uh, my favorite was iron in the book. I had to, uh, <laughs> some of them I, I, I didn't put in. Maybe I'll put them in, in a later time. Um, I will, uh, there was the one, I think, I, I, I've been asked that question. Before. You can, and by the way, you can take one that's not in the book. You can use one of the, that, okay. that I, you didn't put in. That's fine. Okay. Well, there was a time, there was the time that me and my uh, brothers were all walking to a store and we lived in the middle of the nowhere in the woods and the store was many miles away and it was freezing cold. It was always cold. Massachusetts, probably dead of winter. And as we're walking to the store, we're walking down the, uh, on the overpass. So we look down and the, the brook, you know, the small river down there is frozen over, which is a rare thing because it flowed pretty vigorously. And to see it frozen over, it had to be cold. 
And of course, my brother says, well, let's go down there and investigate. I'm not sure what there was to investigate, but, you know, it's a frozen river, but down we went. And me and my brother Hank end up on one side of the river, and my brother Dickie and Bill operate. I mean, uh, they, they end up on the other side of the river. And it's quickly decided that I'm going to form my, my body into the shape of a torpedo, and they're going to shoot me across the ice to test some theory or other. And so they instruct me to take off my coat and to form myself into a torpedo. My brother Hank whizzes me across the ice like a rocket, and over I go all the way. Success. And now for part two of the experiment, my brother Bill and Dickie, they're going to turn me around, point me in the other direction, and send me back. Well, you know, I'm not Elon Musk or anything, but I knew that they did not push me nearly hard enough to get me across that ice. And I found myself stalled in the middle, looking through the ice, jet black. I couldn't see the bottom. And I said, oh, my gosh. Oh, no. What do I do? Uh, I was afraid to move because the ice wasn't all of that thick. So they're shouting everything at me. and you know, Do this. Do that. Right? And, I, and my brother Hank says, just put your head, pretend you're swimming. Put your hands in front of you and just keep putting. And, and I kept doing that. And I kept slowly moving myself across the ice until I was just near for Hank to reach out and grab me. And I was close enough in that with salvation so near, I got a little ambitious and I started pushing with my feet and through the ice I went. Mm. I mean, completely under the ice <clears throat> where I could see <clears throat> those white silver bubbles, you know, under the ice forming. I'm under there and I feel the current pulling me. I said, oh no, it's going to pull me down the brook. And then, like, salvation from above. <laughs> my brother Hank grabs my hair and rips me out of the ice and pulls me out. You know, I'm not sure whether we proved that theory or not. I guess we didn't. But anyway, so he pulled me out, and here I am soaking wet, and it's freezing cold. Within a matter of minutes, I'm not soaking wet anymore because the water has frozen my clothes into a cardboard suit. And so I put on my jacket. Off we go to the store as if nothing in the world happened. So, so here was the thing. <laughs> no apology given, none expected. It was all good with me. I was part of it. I had this, I had, first of all, enough sellability for my brothers to want to involve me in anything, let alone, you know, an experiment to push me across the ice. I had the sensibility to know that you can fall. If I stayed and I cried or refused, I would have ended up under that ice in a much different way, probably. I don't know. Mm. Um, but the point is, we still went to the store. We made it back. It's as if the ice incident never occurred. And the reality, the, the point of it is, I couldn't tell you a single thing what we bought at the store. I barely remember making it to the store, but oh, do I remember the journey. I remember every bit of that uh, minute laying on the ice, looking through, trying to see the bottom. And I think it resonates true that it's the journey, right? It's the journey that needs everything. It's what I picked up and learned upon that way. And who knew that that would evolve into a chapter in a book many, many years later. But the destination right, had, had meant almost that. It was meaningless, but it was the journey that meant everything. And I thought that it, that's a point which you, know, you hear about time and time again. Um, I thought that that story better than any exemplifies that uh, 
that sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, it's those experiences we go through. That's what kind of builds that journey to make it that we want to repeat it. We want to do other things. It kind of energizes us, right? Is by having those. Ex- and that, that's more of a traumatic experience, but nonetheless, that's part of the process, right? We're not, they're not going to all be sunshine and rainbow. So that's right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, well, that might be a good spot to, uh, to end the conversation. Um, what, uh, where can everyone say hello to you online? Do you spend any time on social media? Where, where's the best spot to say hello or if someone wants to uh, check out your stuff? I have a website called charlesmccarrick.com. If you go there, you'll find a, a variety of links to my other businesses, as well as blogs, videos pertaining to the book or whatever whatever other hijinks that I've uh, got myself involved in. I'm not going to try to sell anybody anything. Uh, come in, drop me a, a line. Just, you know, uh, If you're interested in the book or talking to me or communicating with me, that's probably the best way to do it. Awesome. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for joining. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you sharing some of those yeah, stories. It was a lot and, of fun uh, too. I appreciate you. You, you. you are a great, great host. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.